0: Well, good morning, everyone. morning. Appreciate everyone being here this morning. So now in the back, I've got some red books out on the table, and that's for James, which we're doing next, because we're on the last chapter of Hebrews. So you can grab, there's two different red books. One has a slicker surface and one doesn't. It's just because that's what I could find. But I kept them all red, so we would know that that's James, hopefully, so... Anyway, you can feel free to grab those. I have extras over on the shelf in this other room too, but I didn't put them all out. I wasn't sure how many we'd need exactly. All right, so last time we left off with question number three, which refers back to, it kind of refers back to verse six, but it also includes a little bit of verse five, if you think about it, because In verse five, he's saying, "'Let your conduct be without covetousness, "'for he himself has said,' meaning the Lord has said, "'I will never leave you nor forsake you. "'So we may boldly say, "'The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. "'What can man do to me?' And that was what we needed to just review. We kind of answered that last week when we were doing these questions, and that's that was our answer for three. That was our little review we needed to do to step into the rest of this chapter. So we're going to read Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 through 19. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he may sanctify the people with his own blood suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp bearing his reproach for here we have no continuing city but we seek the one to come therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to god that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name but do not forget to do good and to share for with such sacrifices god is well pleased Obey those who have, uh, I'm sorry, obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. But I especially urge you to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. And that brings us to basically question four, which is list the religious exhortations given in this chapter. And really, I would think of it as just the instructions if exhortation sounds strange to you, because it always sounds strange to me. (laughs) But it's the instructions here in these verses. Well, one we have, right? We have, uh, remember those who rule over you. And that has a lot of applications. We think of in a spiritual application, we think of the elders here in the congregation, right? And then we also have, do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, right? That is, let's see if I can, that was back in verse 9. And notice the example here is, you know, having the heart established by grace, not with foods. Foods being a big example for them because they still tended to follow the, the law, on foods and that letter of the law type of thinking. So we're also told to uh, be willing to bear reproach with Jesus, right? The world did not think highly of the Lord, so it's not going to think highly of us. It's the same type of idea. The reproach is like a... A rebuke, or a criticism, or shame and dishonor. Uh, some translations will say contempt and disgrace, because Jesus took that shame to the cross outside of, outside of the gate, as it's phrased here. It says we are to continually offer the sacrifice of praise, giving thanks for the Lord and for what he's done for us. To do good and share. That's something that is a theme throughout the Bible. Obey those who rule over you, be submissive again. That's to me, that's the same as remembering those who rule over you and pray for others. So if we look at question five, What is it that we should be looking for? The city to come. The city city to come, that's right. The city to come is what we should be looking for. And there's a reference to uh, Hebrews 11 uh, verses 10 and 16. If you look at those, for he waited for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. But now, and then in verse 16, but now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And that's the city that we're looking for, the eternal city, referring to the new Jerusalem, the heavenly city we see in Revelation. Now let's read the rest of this chapter here and we will answer the final questions. This is verses 20 through 25. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant make you complete in every good work to do his will working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in few words. Know that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. Greet all those who rule over you and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. Amen. So if we look at question six, what does the author pray for in behalf of his readers? Yes. Right, that God would make them complete in every good work, would give them everything they need to do the good works that they should do for God, right? And that is the same for us. So if we look at question seven then, what is the final appeal made to his brethren, as he says in the letter? Well, he says bear with this word of exhortation which he has written in few words. Now, I don't know about y'all, but for me, this was kind of a long letter if I wrote a letter that long to someone. But that's just me. I mean, some people are wordier than others. So, uh, nonetheless. But he says, bear with this word of exhortation, instructions, you know, this call to action to do these things throughout this letter. And then the last the last question really just has to do with the very end here where he says with whom does he hope to see too soon see with whom does he hope to soon see them and that's Timothy right so and that was, that was actually a fairly simple answer. So we kind of went through this a little quicker than I expected. So let me grab my notes on James, and we can actually get started with that. If you need a book, feel free to grab one in the back. All right, so we'll just begin here with the introduction to James. There's some good information here. Some of it is kind of FYI, you know, just kind of information. Um, Maybe not totally readily um, pertinent to what we're studying, but it's historical information and it could be useful in other ways. So in in the introduction here, we have these different sections and the author, James, who identifies himself as a bondservant of God. And there are four people, four men who bear this name in the New Testament. James, son of Zebedee and brother of John, a fisherman called by Christ. And yeah, one of the two sons of thunder. And then there was James, son of Alphaeus, another one of the apostles. And says not a lot is known about that James, and then James, father of Judas the Apostle, which I did not even remember, but he has a reference here and that's another James. And then James, the brother of our Lord, a half brother of our Lord, who did not believe in his brother at first. He became a disciple following the resurrection and gained prominence in the church at Jerusalem and then as evidence of his prominence, Peter sent him a special message. And James also played an important role in the conference at Jerusalem. So, more than likely, the tradition, the thought is that James, the Lord's brother, is the author of this epistle. So, and here he talks about tradition, how tradition describes James. Not gonna read all of that, I mean, that's tradition. And it's fine, there's nothing wrong with that, but it may not be totally pertinent to what we're into, but you can read that. And then the recipients or the audience of the epistle, this is a little more important. Of course, the epistle is addressed to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. And you can see that in the first chapter, the first verse. So... It says, this naturally leads one to think of Jews, Acts 26, verses 6 and 7, living outside of the land of Palestine. Since the Assyrian and Babylonian captivities, many Jews were scattered throughout different nations. And they give a reference there for Acts 2, verses 5 through 11. While Jews, the epistle makes it clear that they are also brethren in the Lord, so they are Jewish Christians. And that's the point there, is that They are Jewish Christians, Jewish Christians, and uh, James did call them brethren. And then he mentions here that uh, many of these Jewish Christians appear to be poor and oppressed. Uh, Being Jews, the Gentiles didn't think that much of them, but then also being Christians, the Jews didn't think that much of them. So they were kind of between the rock and the hard place. That's just the way... It's just the way it was for them, especially early on. So then it also mentions that this uh, writing is categorized as a general, and <laughs> or they say Catholic, which is supposed to be universal, not necessarily having anything to do with the Catholic Church, but just general epistle along with the writings of Peter and John and Jude. Now, in the time and the place of the writing, they mention here... Um, That probably Jerusalem and probably A.D. 48 to 50, which would make it one of the one of the first, if not the first, things written in the New Testament. But those are probably so. So the purpose of the epistle and and they give a a wordy kind of What would you say? Justification. But they suggest that the purpose is to instruct Christians concerning true and practical religion. And I would accept that. I would probably say it just a lot simpler. I believe it's just telling us, you know, how to practically apply the things we should know from the Lord. Right. How to live our daily Christian lives. So. Let's see. Um. He gives an outline here. And I'm not going to go over all this outline because we're going to actually go through each chapter. This outline is very good, it's very useful. You can see all the things we're going to be looking at and going through. Now, there are some questions for the introduction. And first, they're asking what four men bore the name of James in the New Testament. And we, we looked at those. and I think as just a point of reference, that's fine, and that's James the brother of John, James the son of Alphaeus, or Alphaeus, and James the father of Judas, and then James the brother of our Lord. And then they ask the question, which again, they've really already given the answer to in the introduction, which one is most likely the author of the epistle, and that again is James the Lord's brother. And then we get more towards the beginning of the epistle. To whom was this epistle addressed? Right, the Jewish Christians who were scattered throughout the world, really. Any of the people that could receive that letter. So, and then, that kind of answers... uh, well that does. Actually, four is basically the same answer for who was who were the original recipients intended to be, and that's the Jewish Christians, again. And then question number five what is this epistle commonly called, along with the other epistles like we talked about? And these are considered general good teaching epistles for any Christian so so that's why they put them in that kind of general category anyone can benefit from these teachings any Christian you wouldn't have to be a Jewish Christian to to benefit from any of this that's also why we study Hebrews right so then we have this gets more into the day when was this epistle likely written and as we noted, it was between 48 and 50, probably AD, 48 and 50. And then well, let's move on past the introduction, is kind of just redoing the same, the same information we just looked at. And then there's the outline with all that. So I'm going to move on into chapter one because I think that makes better sense. We have here we have the objectives, of course, in studying this chapter and the summary, which basically gives us a summary of the chapter. And he does do an outline here. I'm just kind of sliding through these things. Not going to read through all the outline. Instead, I want to get to reading the actual text. So, so I'm going to start here. The, uh, the first question, the, the main points of the chapter, um, those, that's broken into two pieces here. True religion endures trial and temptations, and that's in verses 1 through 18. And then true religion consists of doing, not just hearing, and that's in verses 19 to 27. So with that, let's move into our text and let's read the first eight verses of James chapter 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Also, some will say endurance and perseverance, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect. And in this case, that means mature and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So if we look at question number two, how should Christians view trials in our life? As we know the Lord told us we're going to have trials, we're going to have problems. Well, I know it tests our faith, and I know we can become a very much stronger Christian. And more mature by the things we go through. Right. It it helps us grow, doesn't it? The things we go through helps us to learn and grow and put into practice the things that we're supposed to know, right? So he says, uh I'm sorry, did you have something? I was gonna say counter as joy is what he said in verse two, which is really counterintuitive, right? We yes. Our normal reaction to trouble mm-hmm. is we're upset or whatever, but we're told joy we enjoy is recognizing. Right. We're supposed to greet those occasions with joy or rejoice at them knowing that they are teaching us that we are learning from those things and because we are serving God like we're supposed to. Yes. Of course, our human reaction is to start grumbling and complaining and aching. Oh, I'm so stressed out or this has happened or guess what? My car broke down and I was stuck. This long, that they came and my car. And, yes. Know, on and on it goes, and we just talk about what a bad day it was. Right. It does go against our human reaction, which I know mine too is to grump and complain and be all surpus and everything else, you know. I mean, that's that's human nature. That's our first inclination, and we really have to work and train against that to not do that. Yes. Several things have happened lately, financially and otherwise, in my life. And, and I was really thinking, oh, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? You know, I went, oh, what well, heck? I have a partner in this. Matter of fact, I have a leader in the God. Just do what he says, and it'll all work out. Then it just seemed like, Okay, word. <laughs> yep. If we're having, if we're going through trials, if we're going through troubles, if we will just put our focus on the Lord and follow Him and do what He says, that's right. We will, we will come through those things. Okay. Everything will work out. It may not work out the way we first expect or want, but it will work out. Yes. think about saving for a rainy day or, well, you know, I'll deal with it as best I can. But those things come. We will have trials. We will go through things. And if we're living for the Lord, we will suffer as Christians. So we will endure things. Yes, we will endure things. We will have trials. We're plainly told we're going to have trials. We're going to have times of trouble and, and things that go wrong. And we're going to have to just deal with those. And the best way to deal with those is like we were talking about, following the Lord. And, you know, um, sticking with the race, you know, staying with the path. Does anyone have anything else on that? I think we pretty thoroughly covered that. The why, of course, being that we know that it uh, produces patience, helps us grow. Helps us become more mature and complete, right? So, question number three: what is the value of developing patience? They're looking for a specific answer, but I mean, for our purposes. Okay. Well, when we develop patience, the uh, the answer they're looking for is in verse 4. It helps to make one perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Um, but I would say, I mean, that is true. Uh, maybe a simpler way of just saying that it helps us to deal to, again, it's part of that maturity. It helps us to deal with the next thing that comes along. As we're in life, going through life, we're always going to move from one thing to the next. And there's always going to be something, and developing patience and developing these traits will help us to do better next time. I I don't get it right the first time, but I'll do better the second time and the third time, and maybe eventually I'll get it right totally. But at least we'll do better as we go, right? We'll grow and learn. It's like any other skill or any other thing that we put into practice. Patience is something you have to work on and grow. Right, it's part of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22, right? It is part of that, that we want to we grow and develop all of those. Does anyone have anything else? All right. So, we want to look at question four. If we lack wisdom, what does James really tell us we should do? That's for it. Ask for it. That's right. He says plainly just to ask for it. Right. And in faith. in faith. Right. In faith. We should ask in faith. So why would we do that? Well, because God is the source of all wisdom. God has all wisdom. Right. And he says that he will, if you ask, he will give, right? He will give liberally and without reproach because it's just like when you're teaching anybody anything, they don't, they don't know. That's why you're teaching them. And so that's if we ask, of course, he will teach us, he will show us. That's the whole idea. That's the point, Right. So, and then the how, you answered the how. We're supposed to do that in faith without doubting, believing. In other words, believing and trusting what God has said, that he will teach us wisdom. He will show us the way. So, question number five, what is one who doubts like? Well, if you look at, yes. Right. Like the wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind, right? So, in other words, it looks like a mess. It's just going all over the place. Yeah, flopping around, just, yeah. Just all over the place, right? So, we can't, we can't be varying like that all over the place. We have to believe and trust. That God will do as he said. So then it says, what can he expect that person? Nothing. Nothing. Because if you don't believe, I mean, if you don't believe, if you don't accept and trust in God, then that's just, it's just not going to work out. It's not going to happen. You're not even going to be acting in the right way. Yes. guided and directed in how to handle these trials in life, these ways. Satan doesn't want us to have that or to think about going to the source of wisdom and to pray and ask for that. He wants us to be tossed around and our lives to be in turmoil and chaos and so that we suffer and we're um, we have no self control and everything's just chaotic we end up doing whatever we choose to do rather than looking to the Lord. Right. right. We, it's, it's like they say he's double-minded and unstable in all his ways. So it's like you're saying everybody would just be kind of chaotic doing what they want to do and not really following the Lord and following God. And that's kind of what I was alluding to. Uh, people will not, if you don't really believe and trust in God and what he's saying, then you're not going to act accordingly, and instead you'll be unstable, and you'll be going to and fro. I forget, there's another verse. Uh, Anyway, you'll just be going with whichever way the wind blows, and whatever the prevailing idea is in the world, that's what you'll run with, and that's